What a great song today to introduce us to the passage that we have before us. I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. Book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. A minute, a moment ago, as they were singing about God's love never failing, never running out on us. It's such an important truth to remember because there's so many times we find ourselves away from the will of God and we think that maybe he has abandoned us or he's turned his back on us. But in essence, through the gospel, God's love never fails. He's always there to receive us back. And a special word of congratulations today for Jared Redding and Ashley Ecker, who were just up here. They were engaged over the weekend. So we're so thankful for what God is going to do in their lives. And and we'll look forward to, to seeing how great they're going to serve him together as a couple. But today I want you to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. And I want to talk to you about turning back to the gospel. Turning back to the gospel. And if you are able, I want to invite you to stand with me now as we look at God's word together. We'll begin reading in chapter 4, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could, pre- I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. The word of God. You may be seated. Paul was completely perplexed about the decisions of the Galatians to turn back away from the gospel and to chase after the things of the world. To chase after the false teachers, after the pagan idolatry that Christ saved them out of. You know, one of the most familiar stories in the Bible is the story or the parable of the prodigal son. And it's very familiar to us, but it's also a story that we as believers identify with very well. Because like the prodigal son, all of us were away from the fellowship of God. We, in our sin, chasing after the things of the world, resisted his love, ran away from him in our rebellion. And then at a point in our lives, when the grace of God and the mercy of God came over us through the Holy Spirit, we realized that we were out of his will and that we needed to turn back and go to our loving father. And then as we made our way back to God, like the prodigal, God embraced us with his grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and with excitement, he brought us into his kingdom where we will be forever and ever with him. That's how we as believers identify with the prodigal son. But you know, as we think about the parable of the prodigal son, one of the parts of the story that is often overlooked and underappreciated is the part that describes the father's heart as the son was coming home. I don't know if you've looked at this story very much or if you have have studied it closely, 
But in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel in verse 20, Jesus says, But while he was still, the prodigal was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. You see, this detail indicates that as the son was a long way off, and in the sense the father didn't know exactly which day he was going to return, it says that he was always looking way off into the distance, longing for the day that he would see his son coming back toward him. That that was the father's heart. He never wanted his son to be away. Even though he had rejected him and had turned on him and had chased after the things of the world, the father all along had desperately wanted his son to come back. And that shows us the very heart of God. And while this story was primarily written to show us a picture of salvation, I think it also gives us a picture of God's heart towards us even after we are saved. You know, after we are saved and We were talking about this last week that our flesh tends to to take over at times and we walk out of fellowship, of close fellowship with God. We get into the things of the world. We get involved in sin. We become tempted and we look to things other than God's will. And there are times that we stray off from being where we need to be with God. But I can tell you that the heart of the Father, because of his love for us that that came through the person and work of Christ, He desperately wants us to return back to him. God is not a God that holds grudges. He doesn't want to punish us more than we need to be punished. He doesn't want to make us go through things that will keep us away from him. The Bible says that God allows us to go through consequences. He he disciplines us in his love. But at the same time, he urgently wants us to come back to him. That's the will of God. He never wants us to be away. He always wants us to be in close fellowship with him to where we worship him and serve him and obey him and love him as we should our Heavenly Father. And God wants that in our lives. You know, I'm often reminded of the heart of God when I read the book of Ephesians because in chapter 4, verse 30, it says that when we are involved in sin, that the Holy Spirit of God grieves over us, that he is saddened by what we've done. God wants us back to be with him. And that is the heart of God. And you know, it's interesting that the heart of God toward his wayward children is reflected right here in the heart of Paul toward these wayward Galatians. As we've been studying this letter, we know by now that the Galatians had made a very bad decision to listen to false teachers, to turn back to the things of the world, to get out of the will of God, to trust in their own works and own righteousness rather than the the righteousness and perfect works of Christ. They were walking out of the direction of God's will. In fact, last week Paul says they had turned back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. You see, the Galatians had turned back to idolatry, back to their pagan heritage. They'd also turned toward Jewish principles of trying to earn their way to heaven, trying to be right with God through their own efforts. They had turned away from the gospel. But as we understand from this passage today, Paul was grieving and was really longing for these believers to come back to God. The heart of Paul is like the heart of God in the sense that he is hurt and he doesn't understand why they would walk away from something so wonderful as God. And yet he longs for them to turn back from their sins and to come back into fellowship with Christ. It's interesting that in verse uh, 20, Paul says that that he is perplexed about them. Now, the word perplexed means that he is at his wit's end. 
that shows you the degree of concern that Paul has for these people. You know, some have said that up until this point in Galatians that Paul has been very academic. He's been very argumentative, like a a lawyer in a courtroom or perhaps like a professor in an academic setting in a school. He's laid out his points. He's showed them their error. He's, He's corrected their thinking. He's tried to show them the gospel. But it's in these verses that Paul reveals his heart for these people, how much he wants them to come back into the will of God. And it's ultimately a reflection of the heart of the Father who is in heaven because it's God the Father who is writing these verses through the Apostle Paul to bring these people back to him. So needless to say, God never enjoys when we are out of his will. He never wants us to be away from him. He always wants us to be close to him and doing everything he's called us to do. Now there may be some of you here today In your own heart, you know that you are out of the will of God. There are things in your life right now that you know God does not approve of, that it's not according to his word. There are things in your life that's that's against the very will of God and the plans that he has for you in your life. And maybe God has awakened you as a believer through the conviction of the Holy Spirit or through the revelation of his word, and you know that you are not where you need to be. The question is, how do we get back into the will of God how do we turn back how do we get back into that close fellowship with God that our heart longs to be in that we know we should be how do we get there well in this passage as Paul pours out his heart to these Galatians I think there are three essentials that we can understand about coming back into a close fellowship with God These are three essentials that have to take place if you really want to get your heart right with God and get back into his will. So what are these three essentials and how should we obey them today? Well, first, I want you to see that we must confess our sins and repent. We must confess our sins and repent. There is no other place to start than confession of sin and repentance of sin when you are out of the will of God. As you understand God's grace and as you understand his will for your life, the very first step you must take is to confess where you've gone wrong and to turn back to God in repentance and get right. That is where everyone must begin. And notice what Paul says here in verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, Paul begins by making a request. And this is interesting here because the word entreat is an imperative verb. It's a command. It's something that Paul wants these people to do. And it literally means that I plead with you to do this. I plead with you to become like me. I plead with you to get your hearts right with God. You know, this is the first time in Galatians that Paul has given a command. It's hard to believe, isn't it, after four chapters that this is the first time that Paul has ever told them to do something directly. But he's pleading with them for them to do something. Now, this command is kind of unclear, isn't it? Become as I am, for I have become as you are. I mean, what is Paul talking about here? It seems very ambiguous. Well, the context really gives us a lot of help in trying to understand what he's calling them and us, essentially, to do. You see, throughout Galatians, Paul has continually emphasized that salvation is through faith in Christ alone and not through our own works or efforts to please God. He's continually emphasized that we need to trust in the finished work of Christ and 
serve him as our Lord and Savior rather than trying to do enough good things in our life to satisfy God and to get ourselves into heaven. In fact, we've seen that it is impossible for anyone to live good enough in this life to ever impress God enough to let them into heaven. It's impossible. The Bible says that nothing we do can ever make up for the wrong that we've already done. And nothing we do can ever be good enough and satisfactory enough to please God to the point that he would turn away from our sins and grant us access to heaven. It can't happen. The only way that we can be saved and that we can have eternal life is when we deny our own goodness, we deny ourselves, and we look to Christ who did live perfectly before God, who did die a sinner's death on the cross in our place so that we could be forgiven. And when we give our hearts and lives to him in faith, then we could have eternal life. That's the gospel. But you see, these Galatians had turned away from such a truth. But this truth is exactly what Paul had experienced and continues to experience in his life. That's why he says, become as I am. He's not saying become like me, a super Christian who's a wonderful missionary and that that earns his way to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying become as I am in the sense of I am under the grace of God. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in Christ and I'm living for him. Become as I am. And he says, just as I have become as you are. Now this is interesting because Paul is saying that in a sense he's become like they are. And what this really indicates here is that Paul, who was a staunch Jew before becoming a Christian, who tried to earn his way to heaven, he gave up all of those Jewish practices and became essentially like a Gentile who did not try in the sense of Judaism to earn their way to heaven. They, they were not on this path. So Paul shed aside his Judaism and lived more like a Gentile, but through faith in Christ. So when you think about what Paul is saying here, He wants them to turn away from their pagan idols. He wants them to turn away from trying to earn their way to heaven and trusting in something other than Jesus. He wants them to turn back to the gospel, turn back to God, turn back to trusting in the Lord Jesus so that they can not only be saved, but they can have the most joyous and wonderful life on earth that they could possibly have, living in the abundance of life that Christ promises. That's what Paul wanted for them. It's like what he says in the book of Acts when he's talking to King Agrippa. You know, Paul is on trial. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. He's saying he wants them to become back into close fellowship with God through the gospel. That's where Paul's heart is. So, in essence, Paul is wanting them to recognize their error and turn back to God. It's that simple. And that's what confession and repentance is all about. About recognizing where we've gone wrong and turning away from those mistakes and turning back toward Christ and getting right with God. You know, this is the first essential for coming back into close fellowship with God. And, you know, one of the great things about the Holy Spirit is that after we become believers, the Spirit indicates in our hearts when we're out of fellowship with God. He lets us know as believers when we've crossed into areas that we shouldn't be in, when we've transgressed the very law of God, when we've done things that are against God's will. And if you're like me, and when when I'm involved in something that I shouldn't be in, if there's a sin that comes up in my life, it doesn't feel good. I don't enjoy doing it after I've already been convicted about it. It's something that really hurts me on the inside. And I know that I'm guilty. But I want to tell you, the way out of my sin is not just by feeling guilty. 
It's not just about agreeing with God that it's wrong. It's not just trying to get out of it so I can avoid a consequence. What I must do is confess to God that my sin is wrong and turn away from it so that I can get back in his will. That's what repentance is all about. It's about quitting what you're doing and going in a different direction. And many believers today seem to to fail to understand that concept that God wants to give you grace. His love is there for you. He wants to restore you. But his demand is that you stop what you're doing that's against his will. And I can tell you today that if you want to be in fellowship with God, then stop the sins that you are in and turn back to him and trust in Christ. That is the only way. Now some of you may think, well, what about the sins that we've committed though? What about the things that we've done wrong? How are we ever going to make those things up to God? How could we ever account for ourselves or or try to do something that's going to, to make God love us even more or get out of this sin? Well, that's the beauty of the gospel. You see, the gospel says that even though we are still sinners, that Christ died in our place, not just to save us on the day that we decided to follow him, but to continue to forgive us each day that we live, any time that we make a mistake. And your sins have already been paid for by the blood of Christ. So anytime that you are out of the will of God and you do want to repent, you know that you need to repent, don't ever fear that repentance is going to cost you anything. Christ already paid for the right for you to turn back to God. It's like what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the truth of the gospel. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So if there is a sin in your life today, something that you know is out of the will of God, I urge you to become like Paul, return to God's grace, repent of your sin, and get back into the will of God with your life. That's where you need to begin. That's the first essential for turning back to God, is to confess our sins and repent. Well, after we've confessed sins and repent, we now move to the second essential, and that's to listen to and obey the truth. Listen to and obey the truth. You know, one of the reasons that we as believers often turn away from Christ, and let me tell you, it happens to me uh, many times throughout my life, One of the reasons that we often turn away from Christ and get into things that are outside of the will of God is because we are being influenced by things that are outside of the will of God. We are being influenced and impressed by and led and lured away from where God wants us to be. We know that our flesh is the operative that does this in our life. The flesh, the old sinful nature, continually urges us to resist what the Spirit is calling us to do. The world is out to tempt us through the efforts of Satan to try to lead us away from the will of God. We're in a spiritual war. And there's many times that we listen to all of these things that want to pull us away from God. And when we listen enough, after a while, we cave in. And next thing we know, we've transgressed the very will of God. That's the situation that we are often in. See, the Galatians had been listening to these false teachers. They had been looking back to their past at the things they used to do. All of these worldly influences were trying to pull them out of the will of God. That's why they were in the shape that they were in. And Paul wants them to turn back to God's word. He wants them to turn back to the truth. And he shows them a very important contrast to reveal this problem that they have. Notice what he says here at the end of verse 12. 
He says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And through my condition, or though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul is showing them a great contrast to when he first met them to where they are now. Now, when Paul first met them, he says that when I first met you, you did me no wrong. In fact, it was because of this physical condition, this bodily ailment, that I even came to you in the first place. Now, this is a part of Scripture that we're not completely sure of what Paul is meaning here. Um, you know, we understand that on Paul's first missionary journey, he and Barnabas traveled to these areas in, the, in this uh, part of Asia Minor where the Galatian churches were, and they made disciples, they planted churches, they evangelized, and many people believed, which are all these Galatians. But Paul says that when he first came to them, they received him so well with open arms. And he said that this is really strange because when they first came to them, Paul was dealing with a bodily ailment. The words here in the original Greek literally mean a weakness of the flesh. Paul says it was because of this weakness or this bodily ailment that they even went there to start with. Some have speculated that Paul was either injured, he was suffering from a disease, or there was some problem that led him to off course, but in the providence of God, to meet with these people. And that's why he arrived there in these churches. Now, a lot of people have speculated exactly what Paul was dealing with. Some think that Paul is referring to this, this infamous thorn of the flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians, which was given to him by God to humble him continually. Some people think that it was the physical scars that he had on his body from the beatings he received throughout the persecutions, that he was so maimed and he was so, his face was disfigured where he had been beaten and stoned and everything, that maybe his appearance is what uh, looked strange to them. Other people believe that Paul could have contracted malaria when he was in the low regions of, uh, of the lower part there near the Aegean Sea and that he went up out of the low parts into this mountainous region so he could get fresh air and get out of that area and get rid of his malaria. But I think one of the best considerations is th- are those who believe that Paul suffered from a very difficult eye disease. There's a lot of evidence in the New Testament that Paul suffered with his eyes that he had some sort of disease or problem, an ocular disease that, that hurt him, hurt his vision. I mean, you know, when you think about what we see here just in the book of Galatians, Paul says that when they received him, one of the things that they would have done was to gouge out their eyes and give them to him. You know, that could be a, a way of just saying that they would have given him anything, but it's interesting that Paul uses his eyes as the example is, is if his eyes were bad and they wanted him to have new eyes. At the very end of the book of Galatians, in chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, see with what large letters I am writing to you. In other words, Paul was writing letters very big on this sheet of paper because he was having trouble seeing. And if you look in the book of Acts, in chapter 23, Paul curses the high priest. And someone says, Paul, don't you know that you're speaking to the high priest? And he said that he didn't know that he was even looking at the high priest. So apparently Paul had a very serious problem with his vision or with his eyes. And that's what led him there to the Galatians. But one of the things he says here, though, is even though his condition was a trial, you did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. 
Now, why would they scorn Paul, or, or why was it a trial to them? Well, you see, in ancient times, when a person appeared to someone else who had a lot of physical difficulties, deformities or, or problems or diseases. In those days, there wasn't a lot of medical treatment, so, so they had a stench about them many times, and there was a lot of uh, things that were just not fun to look at. That People assumed that the gods were angry with these people, that somehow they had been under the vengeance of God, that God's judgment was upon them. So they would not receive them. In fact, they would scorn them or despise them in their presence. You remember the the boy that was born blind in one of the Gospels where Jesus is talking about this child that was born blind and the Jewish people assumed that his parents did something wrong that would cause this. That was the modern way they viewed things, which was obviously wrong. But Paul says that rather than casting me out, punishing me, putting me away, scorning me, you actually received me in as an angel of God. Now, it's very interesting. Because an angel is normally a messenger of things that are good. People look for angels to bring them truth. So Paul says that supernaturally, whereas you were supposed to have rejected me and turned away from me, you actually received me as a messenger from God. You received me just as if Jesus Christ himself had walked right into your church and started preaching. Isn't it amazing to see the power of the Holy Spirit? That as Paul was in a position where no one should have listened to him, that God opened their hearts to receive him, just as if Jesus Christ was the one preaching? Doesn't that tell us and remind us that any time that we feel God leading us to share the gospel or to talk with someone that we may not know, that it's not about our performance or about how we look or what we might say, but God is going to empower us to have that conversation with them, and he will open their eyes and their ears to listen. That is a very important thing to remember. But you see, this didn't last very long. Notice what he says here in the middle of these verses in verse 15. What then has become of the blessing you felt? What has become of this great blessing? He says in verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You see, at some point after Paul left, these people turned on him. They walked away from the gospel. They turned their backs on not only God and the truth, but they turned their backs on the apostle Paul. It could have been that these false teachers were telling them not to believe Paul or not to trust what he was saying. But Paul says you went from being just joyful in Christ and and, and loving God through the gospel to not even wanting to hear the truth anymore. What has happened to you? The answer is that these people had started believing the lies of the false teachers. They were influenced by them and they had taken their, their hearts and minds off of the word of God. That's where they were. You see, one of the easiest ways for you and I to get out of the will of God is to take our eyes off of the truth that comes from his word and to turn our eyes onto the falsehoods, the lies, the deceits of all the things that are contained in the world. You see, when we look to the world for so-called wisdom and advice, when we look to the things of the world to, to live after, to model our lives around, when we look to the, to the world and we look to the, the television and the internet and magazines and all these other sources of media to direct our lives, to tell us what's popular, to tell us what's meaningful, to tell us what direction we should go in, to what we should accept, to what we should enjoy. When we look to the world for all of these answers, we are always going to be led away from the will of God. If what the world is saying does not conform to the truth that God has revealed through his word, we are always going to be led away from a close fellowship with God. 
That is what we understand throughout Scripture. You see, our culture today is really twisted and upside down. You think about the views that people are taking today about homosexuality, about transgender issues, about evolution, about abortion, about all these controversial issues that in many, many ways are against the will and word of God. Why are people taking such views? It's because they've walked away from the truth of the Bible and they've turned to the wisdom of the world. They started listening to what Satan has inspired the world to believe is right and good, and they've turned away from the things that God has told us is right and good. We live in an upside-down world. We were talking this morning that in our culture, it seems that what is right is now wrong, and what is wrong now seems to be right. And that happens as people turn away from the Word of God, the only source of real truth. And you know, and sometimes we turn away from God because we listen to to people who claim to be spiritual authorities but are really not. There's preachers and ministers who are on television, who run conferences, who have books and are on talk shows that all tell us to do certain things in order to be right with God, but it's not based on His Word. It's based on becoming rich and healthy and prosperous and popular and all of those things. And you see what happens is when we start giving attention to the things of the world and the things that are against the will of God, we start buying into what they are saying. And before we know it, we are opposed to the truth just like the Galatians. That's where we can be as believers and it's certainly where our culture is as a whole. We oppose the truth because we've bought into a lie. So how do we return from such a trap? The best way to return is to pull out God's word and look into it, to examine it, to study it, to obey it, to understand it, and to live by it. And when you pull out God's word, and you say, I want my life to be directed by what God says, you're going to find that it's a very different direction than what the culture is telling you to do, than what the culture tells you is right and good. But this is the only way to live. This is the only way to real life. Everything the culture is telling us today, it may appear to be giving us somewhat of a life, but it is a far, far lesser form of life than the life that God wants to give us through obeying his word. The greatest joy and happiness and meaning that you will ever have in this life comes when you turn to Christ and trust in him for your salvation and obey what he tells you to do in this world. And not only will you have all of those joys in this life, but you'll have eternal joy in the next life. So if you're wondering today what you need to do to get back with God, I would tell you to repent, but also to return to the word of God and live by it. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that gives us the direction that we need to go in life. So repentance is the beginning and it continues with listening to and obeying the truths of scripture. Well, there's one final essential that I quickly want you to see today. The third essential about coming back to God, and it's to continue towards spiritual maturity, to continue towards spiritual maturity. You know, turning back to God definitely involves confession and repentance. It definitely involves obeying his word and trusting to live according to what God has told us. But the question sometimes becomes is where should that ultimately lead? In other words, what is the goal when we turn back to God? Is it just to get out of a consequence that we're in? Is it just to make our conscience feel better? Is it just to make sure that people would, uh, you know, quit talking about us or maybe get back and right with people in the church? I mean, what is the goal here when we turn back to God? Well, the goal is not just turning back in the moment, but it's continuing on 
until we are made into the image of Christ. It's to grow in spiritual maturity. You see, that's the reason we're turning back. It's because we want to be just like Christ. And that is the heart that Paul displays here compared to those of the false teachers. Now look what he says in verse 17. He's speaking of the false teachers. He said, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, the phrase here, make much, carries the idea of serious interest in someone. And it was even used in ancient times to talk about uh, men courting women, that they really cared for them, they loved them, they showed their affection to them, and they really wanted the women to know that they were very interested in them. And Paul is using this language here to say that when the false teachers came to you, they did everything they could to, to take a great interest in you. They showed you their wisdom, they showed you their ability to teach, they, they showed you love in many different ways, they showed you that they cared for you, and they won you over into this false idea by making much out of you. But, what was their goal? What was their agenda? He says here in verse 17, they did it for no good purpose. They actually wanted to shut you out, he says, so that you may make much of them. You see, many times in ancient cultures, and even like today, this is how cults are formed. They appear to be good, there's a lot of enthusiasm, they have uh, leaders that are very enthusiastic and that are courageous in their leadership and bold, and they win people over by just courting them and loving them and, and impressing them with their knowledge. But in the end, all they're wanting to do is take their money from them, to be glorified by them, to want to receive fame through them. That's what the agenda is for many of these false teachers, not only today, but even in ancient times. Paul says, all these people are doing, they're wanting to use you. They want you to build them up, to give them money, to serve them, and to glorify them. That's their goal. But notice what Paul says his goal is. Verse 18, he said, It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, he says, until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, you know, being made much of is not a bad thing. I mean, that's, that's just encouragement. We want to minister to people and love on them and encourage them. We want to make much of them. But the purpose is so that Christ will be formed in you. It's not to glorify Paul or to make Paul rich or to, to make him have more accolades. It's so that these people will come and be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's goal. I think it's interesting that he uses the dramatic analogy here of a mother in labor to describe how much he wants these believers to come back to Christ. Just as a mother is, is, is laboring and working hard to produce that child in those moments of childbirth, Paul is doing all that he can to deliver them out of this evilness and bring them back into fellowship with God. He wants them to be formed into the image of Christ. He wants them to model Christ in their actions, their attitudes, their decisions, and their love for others. That's Paul's heart and goal for these believers. You know, what is the goal for our Christian lives? What is our goal? Is it to be rich, prosperous, famous, to have everything we need to be comfortable? The ultimate goal for us is to bring glory to God by being made into the image of Christ. That's why God saved us. That's why he's still working with us through the Holy Spirit. That's why he's sanctifying us. And that's why he is going to glorify us in the end. He wants us to come into the image of Christ. And I can tell you today, if you, if you say, you know what, I've got sin in my life. I want to confess that sin. I want to turn away from it. I want to read God's word. 
that doesn't need just to last today. That needs to continue on until you reach heaven. You need to continue on towards spiritual maturity until you come into the image of Christ. I love the language he used there about being formed, formed into the image of Christ. You know, as Sadie has many toys that she enjoys, one of her favorite things now is to play with Play-Doh. And I know that a lot of you have seen Play-Doh and you get in your carpet and it's messy and all of those kinds of things. But Sadie will take the Play-Doh and she is now making dresses out of Play-Doh to fit around her little princess dolls. And she makes these elaborate little dresses to put around them, forming that dress into the exact way that she wants it to look. You know, that's, that's a picture of what God is doing in our lives. The Bible teaches that God is like a potter, that we are like the clay, that he molds us and makes us into this image that he wants us to be in. That is the goal for our lives, so that the image that God makes will look like Jesus and it will bring more glory to him. So your turning back needs to continually include you being formed and made into the image of Christ through the hand of God. That's God's goal for your life. And if you're just turning back today to avoid consequences or just to get out of something, that's not the reason to turn back. It's so that you can turn back and be made into the image of Christ and continue to live that way forever. That's what Paul's heart was for these people. It's like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So my plea to you today is to think about your life. Don't think about your neighbors. Don't think about your family. Don't think about who's sitting next to you in the pew. Think about your life. Are you where God wants you to be? Are you living according to his will? Is there sin in your life? Are there things that you're doing right now that's against the will of God? And if there is things in your life like that, then the first step you need to... Well, the first thing you need to understand is that God desperately wants you to come back to him. If you're a believer in Christ and you're in fellowship with God through through faith in Jesus, God desperately longs for you to come back to him. And his grace is sufficient to allow you to come back to him. But on your end of things, you need to repent and confess and repent of your sins. You need to recommit yourself to turning to the truth of God's word and obeying it. And you need to commit yourself to living out this until you come into the image of Christ. That is how you come back into fellowship, close fellowship with God, and how you turn back to the gospel. And you know what? There could be some of you here today who say, you know what? I've never turned to God at any point in my life. I've been a church member. Perhaps I've been in and out of you know, Sunday school classes, or I've been associated with believers in my family, but I have never really given my whole heart to the Lord Jesus. Well, the God's grace is sufficient to save you if you will turn from your sins as well. The Bible says that if you understand that you're a sinner and that you know that you have a need for Christ, that if you will turn from your sins in repentance and trust that Jesus did everything that was needed for you to be saved, trusting in his goodness, that God will save you from your sins and give you eternal life. That is the hope that we have in the gospel. And it is for anyone who would turn from their sins and follow Jesus to be saved. And that's the hope that I would have for you today. Father, we thank you so much for this day that we can come and worship you together. We thank you, Lord, for this um, wonderful passage of hope that we see. Lord, it's not hopeful that we...